The Naval Institute Podcast is brought to you by Lockheed Martin. At Lockheed Martin, our mission is to keep you mission ready. And the F-35 Lightning II delivers. From the factory line to the front lines, we're there to see your mission through from start to finish, ensuring our men and women in uniform have a decisive advantage and come home safe every time. It's your mission that defines our purpose because lives depend on it. Lockheed Martin, your mission is ours. Welcome to the Naval Institute Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach and Marketing. Here we are live at West, and joining me are the usual suspects when we're out at West. Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine, and Fleet Master Chief Retired Paul Kingsbury, my Co-Director of Outreach and the Editor of the latest edition of the Chief's Guide. Gentlemen, as always, great to see you out in San Diego. It's great to be here. It is. It's a great time. Good atmosphere. Day one did not disappoint, starting off with the uh, service chief town hall, which is usually the like signature event on day two. At the end. At the right. end. Wrapping things and up. And because of testimony, we had to do it today. It was a kickoff event at, at, at zero dark 30, eight o'clock this morning. Um, they kicked it off. The moderator was our chairman of the board, the Honorable Bob Work, and... Uh, he did a great job of not letting him off the hook. And, he, and I think there, was, there were some headlines made, I think, during that panel, particularly when he asked them. Basically, the question was, is 355 a number? And he also put it to CNO that basically SECDEF, Esper, said, you don't have a plan, and do you agree? And, and CNO basically said, no, I don't agree. I think we do have a plan. So what did you guys think about any of the, the exchanges that went on there? Well, I, I heard CNO say that he respectfully disagreed with his boss, the uh, the defense secretary, right, about 355. But what I've heard now in uh, the, not just the Sea Service Chiefs panel this morning, but in the, uh, some of the other panel discussions is uh, it, it keeps coming out that we can get to 355, but it's going to take more money. And that it, with current study, steady state top line budget for Department of the Navy, uh, we have a budget we can afford a force of about 305 to 310 ships. Right now we're at 295 or so. Uh, so we can get to 305, we can get to 310, but the Navy cannot get to 355 without some top line growth. So that's what I heard. Well, I, within that, I also heard, again, because he's not going to come out and directly say these things, of course. But I also heard that 355 is just a number. He talked in terms of capabilities and requirements, right? So he, he all but said, let's kind of leave that number alone or honor it insofar as it's an issue with the, the administration. But I'd like to think in terms of capabilities and requirements and build the fleet in that way. Yeah, I, I, I heard that as well. Again, what what's resonating with me is this idea that current top line budget, the Navy can afford a force of about 305, 310 ships, right? And so the, the CNO and the Commandant, they're, they're skewering some sacred cows by getting away from, you know, 38 amphib ships and a certain number of, uh, you know, ships of each class, right? Uh, and, and they're trying to look more holistically at the capability to project power uh, to, you know, but, but some of those big, um, 
priorities, like the Columbia class SSBN, are eating a significant amount of the uh, ship construction Navy, SEN budget, right? And so if you, if you want to build a bigger force, you're going to need more money to do it. And there, I think it's what, what I take away from some of these conversations, and, and Admiral Brown, the SWO boss, mentioned this. Admiral Miller mentioned it a little bit in the, uh, the panel discussion this morning. It, it, you could build a bigger force, and, and Bob Work mentioned this as well, right? So uh, in his questioning of the Sea Service Chiefs, there was this idea that you could build a bigger force, but it's going to be a hollow force, Right. And in uh, the Budget Control Act and the sequestration years, and, and this was when um, Bob Work, Honorable Work, was the was the Deputy Secretary, he said that they made a conscious decision to keep force structure, knowing that it was going to be hollowed out to an extent, and hoping that they could build back the readiness. Right. And now, uh, having gone through, having, having watched that movie over the last five, six, seven years, everybody at the at the senior level, they're all talking about. We're not going to build a force that we can't man. We're not going to build a force that we can't train and equip. Uh, and so if you want to have a bigger force, it's going to have to be some budget growth. And if you want to have a capable force that you're manning at the 92 95%, that you're training to all the capabilities that it has, that you're answering the bells that you're receiving from the COCOMs for forward presence then that force is going to be 305 to 310. I also liked what the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Berger, said about, okay, we're talking about what we need to fight wars. Don't forget what we need to prevent wars in, in parallel to fighting wars. I thought that was a really great point because um, sometimes as we get all liquored up around uh, high-end conflict and return to peer warfare and all that sort of thing, um, we think about our core competency, which is preventing wars, presence. And uh, I thought that was a, a sage comment there. Um, so the other thing he was talking about, or the one of the, another theme that emerged, is the, the force integration piece. And this also includes the Coast Guard, but it was very much around the Navy Marine Corps. What, what did you see on that front? I'll start with the Coast Guard because uh, Commandant Schultz mentioned uh, that the, the Coast Guard brings those capabilities up to but not including force-on-force force conflict, right? So it's, it's the, the, uh, the spectrum of conflict and, and managing uh, international maritime uh, security problems that, that don't go to full-scale war. So that's, uh, you know, fisheries and, and um, free seas and monitoring exclusive economic zones and helping uh, our partner nations in the Pacific do that for themselves, right? Uh, and so he, you know, the, the the Coast Guard has made a concerted effort to push some of these national security cutters forward to operate with with uh, seven fleet forces, right? And so that's clearly on the the, the commandant's mind, uh, or the commandant of the Coast Guard's mind, and and that that is working. Before. There was a lot of conversation in uh, the panel discussions as well about wargaming some of these capabilities, right? Uh, and so the the, uh, the commandant Berger mentioned that this the answer to the question are we ready to fight are we ready for for peer competition is is a temporal answer right that the the answer 
Uh, today, maybe yes. The answer is six months from now, depending on what the adversary does, it, it, it might be less so, right? And so you're, you're constantly working this challenge, not just today, and it's not just a number that's going to be static. The answer is not going to be static. It's going to be an answer that is constantly evolving as the adversary gets a vote. As our allies and partners change their capability mix, as uh, Congress decides what the funding level is going to be and, and what kinds of, of capability that the, uh, that, that the U.S. military is going to buy. And so it's, uh, it's not a static answer. right? And especially in a digital environment. Absolutely. You know, where where the, you know, exploiting digital networks, uh, like he was saying, like the comment I was saying, in a single moment, your capability can be exploited, and now the calculus has changed. Paul, how about from your point of view, um, with the Exceptional Sailor Program, how did the uh, lineup look this year? Good. So uh, since we're down to two days, you know, two luncheons, so we had less. Well, we had more people at two luncheons. But uh, once again, great coordination and collaboration with uh, uh, across the sea services to recognize outstanding enlisted performers from the local area. This year, we did a better job of bringing Coast Guard into both, event, both events. You had a big but, Coast Guard turnout. Yes, we did. So, you know, 10 today, 10 tomorrow. Marines had about 20 or so, and Navy had about 30. So we capped it at 60. But talking to them at the table, you know, once again, they're aware, right? Um, one thing I've noticed, you know, that luncheon part aside, I'm seeing a definite increase in the enlisted footprint that's here this year. So I'm seeing more walking the floor, absolutely more than we did on day one of last year. So... Apparently, the word's getting out, you know, and, and kind of communicating the value of what these things bring. It's not just the opportunity. It was great to see IS-1 Minor, you know, our, our winner of the Enlisted and Essay you Contest. You saw him at, uh, at SNA, Yes. Right? It's great he, to see him here as well. Yeah, he stood He's up and asked the world C- tour. Yeah, stands up and asks CNO a question, right? Um, I, I don't I think he was, badass. I don't think he got the answer because his point was, once again, if I'm a fleet sailor, you can talk all the numbers of ships and platforms you want, but... Right now, we don't have the people to uh, operate what we've got, right? So I think he was picking at that a bit. They went into quality of work, quality of life stuff. But interestingly— well, in when fact, they, the uh, comment on the Marine Corps jumped in. He's like, you know, why did you stay in? Yes. Right? Because you like—you know, he sort of simplified it a bit. But I thought but he that was a good a, answer. He it, gave a good answer. Yep. And it does come down to that. Yes. Um, but it was great to see uh, Pet Officer Minor here. You know, he's doing, doing great work out there. He's the poster child for your initiatives. And stuff that, that Bill's looking for as well. It's really fantastic. And we'll uh, war so game here point, soon, right? We'll war game, yep. yeah. The other thing, just in terms of the enlisted presence on the floor, is just presence in general. The, this West is is noticeably more crowded. And I, we may be hitting record numbers for attendance. I know that they, we are. Yeah, I okay. know from April Perico, who's the director of our conferences and events, that West is sold out this year. And, they, and they, that includes ex- exhibition they, space. They completely sold all the exhibition space, right? So all the floor space that could be sold is sold. Uh, they got I a know record. That lunch was sold out. Yep. I know last year it wasn't sold a out. A record yeah. number of people here, and as you, you and I mentioned uh, t- to each other a few minutes ago with the afternoon panel discussion. Uh, we saw more people in Hall C for that panel uh, discussion both this morning and this afternoon, right? And so no, it's the moderator is like, there. hey, we got a few empty yeah, seats no, up I here. Mean, I, w- I was yeah. walking out to come stand set of the podcast, and it was standing room only, literally. So, you know, this two-day compressed time frame uh, this year uh, is yielding impressive numbers and impressive impact, and it's really great to see. Yeah, and the topic, uh, I, you know, when I first heard, you know, are we ready to compete, you know, and with high-end conflict – I was initially like, haven't we been talking about this enough, right? Obviously, we all know that. 
But I think uh, the level that that message is now populating into the nation is starting to get there, right? So it's a conversation we got to continue to have. You know, not specifically to talk about 355, but I find myself thinking about when I hear the service chiefs talking and then hear the, the operational commanders talking, I get a sense there's good collaboration between, you know, basically the OpCon and the AdCon at all levels. Um, there's more work to be done about, hey, generating, you know, here's the requirement we need forward. I look forward to Admiral Davidson's comments tomorrow. He's the uh, keynote speaker. Um, he's going to provide a definite you know, a perspective as the consumer of resources, right? He, I think he's got a huge part of how we establish uh, the Navy we need. And then I find myself asking, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion, right? You, you have some naval leaders that are talking, hey, let's get to 355, build a bigger Navy. And then you turn around, they're doing a stem to stern review, looking for efficiencies and cuts, right? So that's on people's mind, right? Sailors see that, they're reading that in the, in the spaces. Sometimes that can be perceived as what's going on. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. So that's why it's important to get here, have the opportunity to ask these more strategic leaders these questions and clarify. So on the uh, C5I side, a couple of interesting conversations. So at, at the luncheon speaker today was uh, Adam Weiss, the chief information officer for the Department of the Navy. And he came, comes from an industry uh, background. He worked for uh, several Fortune 100 companies as a uh, as a CIO, never was in uh, the Navy, never was in uh, in the Pentagon before this job. But he, he had some interesting perspectives at lunch and, and his address with a new strategy about how they're going after sort of C5I capability and readiness. And I enjoyed his point. He, he walked through the the current acquisition process, the, the requirements process and the acquisition process and how long it takes to get uh, a requirement on the on the you know, field, you palm for it, you get it in the budget, then you have to execute that budget, you get an RFP out, it takes an, a, a year or so for companies to bid on something, and then from the time that you acquire the capability to you field the capability and you train sailors and Marines to use that capability, you're talking about like a five to seven year timeline, yeah, time right? Which seems quick, right? <laughs> I mean, if you start looking at V-22 and JSF, five to seven years is got awful slow, but it's also quick. That's right. your best case scenario that they outlined there. That's best case scenario. But in terms of IT, right. information security, information technology, that's a geological time period. You can't right? do it. That's you like going from it. the you know the Mesozoic period to the proto. I mean, it, it, this is insane, it right? Is and insane. so he he mentioned having a lunch with Satya Nadella, the the CEO of Microsoft, right? And and describing to him the problem of identity for sailors and Marines and that when you when you come in the Navy, you know, uh, and you're at boot camp and you get your first Blue Jackets yeah, manual. Well, no, 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 no. Paul, Paul Kingsbury at Navy.mil, right? Oh, yes. Your and email the, address? Your, your first email address. Yeah. And then you go to a ship and on that ship, you're probably going to be Paul.Kingsbury at LHD5.Navy.mil, right? And then you yeah. leave that sea, your first sea duty, and you go back to shore duty somewhere, and you may be back to Paul Kingsbury at Navy.mil, yeah. or you may be Paul Kingsbury at ONI.whatever, yeah. right? Or the COCOM. And, 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 yeah. and there was a lieutenant commander who stood up and said, well, you know, I, I guess I feel lucky because in my Navy career, I've only had four, you know, .mil addresses. <laughs> but but these, you know, th those are your avatars. And... And, and the CIO was saying that that's not acceptable. That provides an attack space for the adversary to, to come through so many different personas for so many different people in the Navy. And that is just one of the problems that he's trying to get at 
to to simplify the identification of every person who's on the Department of the Navy uh, information security networks, right? I thought that was a really interesting that point. Was an interesting and, point. You know, and and also the fact that you know Google or you know Boeing on in the commercial side, uh, they update secu- they update software uh, on an hourly, sometimes a minute by minute basis, right? So if you, your Tesla is parked in your garage. Tesla's going to send you an update to the software in your Tesla Model 3 uh, tonight. They'll probably send another one tomorrow. Maybe three days later, you get another update, right? And yet our uh, capability of, of fielding new software, it's not updated over the air like that. And, and that's industry standard, but it's not DOD standard yet. And so that's another uh, capability or the, the modernization process that he was talking about. We have to get there. Yeah, and I think he talked to, I like this point, he hit at this risk-averse culture that uh, to what extent, right? So there is a, the risk tolerance is pretty low. So that's why I think there's a lot of bureaucracy and security, right? And this, So he framed it in like, hey, J.P. Morgan owns 20% of the national economy, essentially, is, is banked through J.P. Morgan. They invest 6% of their top line into IT, right? So it's not a fact that we don't have enough money, right? And if they're willing to use those systems and they feel comfortable, you know, with lean, basically quick, agile systems for cybersecurity, we should be doing the same thing, right? So I think that was a big point that resonated with me. Stop being so risk averse. You know, I mean, I got it. There's a lot at stake here with military readiness and O plans and plans, but uh, there's a lot of stake with the national economy, too. So we have some panels going on right now. Uh, we have the afternoon reception happening. We have the Copernicus Awards that are going to happen, Bill. What's what's happening at that thing? Yeah, so upstairs at uh, 1600, uh, there's the award ceremony. So uh, both AFSIA International and the Naval Institute uh, will be uh, honoring a number of uh, essay contest winners uh, this year. So the enlisted essay contest winners will be uh, awarded the uh, Marine Corps essay contest winners, Coast Guard essay contest winners will be uh, awarded uh, upstairs today. That's just from uh, from the Naval Institute side. Uh, and then uh, FC International has got some Copernicus Award winners as well will be, uh, uh, you know, awarded. And that's a group of people that's Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard uh, enlisted to junior officers. And so it should be a, a really great, it's always a great event to see um, that kind of recognition for people who are the thought leaders early in their careers, whether it be enlisted or officer. So upstairs, 1600 at West. So tomorrow, you've already mentioned, Paul, we got uh, Admiral Davison coming in. He's very quick in and out. He's, he's going to speak. And we tried to get him on the podcast. As we mentioned before, we'll have to try to secure him uh, for uh, an episode uh, down the road here. Um, but it'll be great to hear his remarks because obviously a lot going on in Indo-PACOM, including coronavirus concerns. It was actually teed up today as he's done that very sort of been a model of how you go about creating a policy and executing it. The Commander of the Marine Corps also gave props to base COs sort of fleet wide um, that have, have turned to and are hosting uh, and creating um, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Quarantine um, zones. Quarantine right. they're, zones. They're helping to quarantine. Uh, Travis Air yes. Force Base was one, and I, I forget some of the other uh, West Coast bases where Americans being brought back to CONUS, 
who may have been exposed to or definitely have been exposed to coronavirus have been uh, quarantined. And a lot of that quarantine is being maintained by uh, Navy corpsmen and by uh, you know military health professionals at those bases uh, as as part of their mission to you know protect and defend uh, American citizens from all threats. Yeah. So he, he the Commandant Marine Corps just mentioned that those, that those base COs have just executed flawlessly, and that Admiral Davidson had created a, a plan for Indo-PACOM um, that was definitive. And so um, I'm sure he'll make some comments about that tomorrow as well as the other areas that are of great interest to our audience. The morning keynote tomorrow is going to be uh, uh, the Honorable Ellen Lord, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. She's appearing via video teleconference because, as you mentioned, uh, congressional testimony over the budget is going on this week, so she couldn't get break away and get out here to Because uh, we'd hope to have her on the show as well. We, we so did. Obviously, that won't, won't she's, happen. She's going to VTC into the morning keynote, and uh, you know, she's always great, right? No, uh, she's uh, fantastic. She explains the procurement space in a, at once technical but layman's way. She's really, really interesting to listen to, so I look forward to that. And then tomorrow night we have the member event. Um, so uh, we'll probably have this live first thing tomorrow morning. And if you're in the San Diego area and you're a member of the Naval Institute, um, we look forward to seeing you at the Ultimate Skybox, which is always a great event. Hopefully the weather cooperates. Last year was a little bit cold and rainy. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look for better climbs this year. And then we're also, we've got the Writing for Proceedings Seminar. That's happening tomorrow at 1330 up in room 18 on the mezzanine level. So Bill Bray, your deputy editor. And I will uh, co-facilitate a seminar for those interested. Maybe you want to write, don't know how to get started. Maybe you're worried about some stuff, right? We're going to talk you through the whole thing, why you should write, the process of writing, how you submit. And then once an article comes in, how that process works to get published. That's fantastic. Good stuff. All right, gents. Always a blast to do the daily wrap-ups. We'll do one again tomorrow at the end of uh, Ops tomorrow afternoon. And so that's it from here in San Diego at West 2020. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Naval Institute podcast is brought to you by Lockheed Martin. At Lockheed Martin, our mission is to keep you mission ready. And the F-35 Lightning II delivers. From the factory line to the front lines, we're there to see your mission through from start to finish, ensuring our men and women in uniform have a decisive advantage and come home safe every time. It's your mission that defines our purpose because lives depend on it. Lockheed Martin, your mission is ours.